0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you guys? I think I'm dreaming. So this should be fun. No, I don't know. I just got to get back in the groove. Second week's hard. But it's good to be here with you. It's good to have God's Word. Let's pray for a moment and we'll jump into it. Gracious Lord our God, we know there's much ahead of us today. Things that we've worried about, things that we're prepared for, and then all that stuff we have no clue. But we do rely on you, Lord, because we know there is nothing beyond you. And in these moments when we enjoy burritos, drink coffee, we know that you're preparing us for the things that we don't know that are coming. So help us to find the strength to find the purpose, Define the belonging that you intended for us as we belong to your church and we belong to you. May this time open our eyes, our hearts, and truly remind us who we are. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, back to chapter one of Mark. Trying to get into it with our man Mark here, by way of quick review. Remember, he is a teenager, or maybe a little bit younger, that grew up with Jesus. His mother, uh, Mary, I think I'm right, was a supporter, probably financial supporter of Jesus as a itinerant rabbi, and later people recognize him as the Messiah. So Mark had a front row seat to some amazing events. Later as he grows up, Mark, also known as John Mark, uh, he has his Greek name and he has his Hebrew name. He uh, is close to Peter, and so he seems to get a lot of information from Peter. He will later travel with Paul and have a knockdown drag out. We'll talk about more that later. But he will go his own way and go into Egypt and convert the whole stinking country. So the the kids know slouch. But as the Romans began to kill off the apostles, the disciples turned apostles, there was this impetus to get the story down. To write it. And so Mark, we think, is the first out of the gate in trying this. So back to the three words I guess we did last week. Uh, Mark 1, verse 1. Here begins the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, I, if you have your Bible, I'd love you to... Uh, underline good news, and write the word Basora next to it, B-E-S-O-R-A-H, Basora. You guys are my buds, so I can confess, I'm an idiot. I spent too much of my life being an idiot. So here's how silly we kind of were. You have heard, I am sure, ad nauseum. The gospel means euangelion. This is a Roman literary form that announces the victory of the emperor. And so Christians forever have taken the gospel to mean this is the victory of Jesus and the announcement of his kingdom. some variation like that. And we will study Roman euangelions and Greek versions of it all the time. But you really have to stop and realize what happened. Jesus never, ever said the word gospel. He never said the word euangelion. All this is translated now, they are translating this because more people in the Eastern Mediterranean are speaking Greek. But I, I'm such an idiot. I mean, earlier in my life, why didn't I ask, what word did Jesus use? We know it's being translated into Greek, um, which becomes this euangelion. And we, we think, you know, a gospel is kind of like a biography of Jesus it's announcing Jesus' uh, defeat of death. I mean, we, we, we get just little bits of it. Now, none of that's wrong, but it's not the complete story. And this is where, if, if we just stopped for a minute and said, okay, what, what word did Mark originally use? And it's this word, Basora. Let me try to explain it uh, quickly. It's, it's bigger uh, than we sometimes give it credit for. Besorah starts out as when you win a battle, uh, someone comes back and says, hey, we won. So that's how it starts. It shows up in 2 Samuel with David. We just talked about that. Uh, when David comes back and they announce a victory, um, it's always Besorah, Besorah. But by the time of the late prophets... There's this idea, um, and if you were in the Wednesday night study of Ezekiel, we went through this that there is coming a day where God will call all of the Jews that were lost in the exile back home to his mountain. They will come and worship God at his mountain. Where is God's mountain? Yeah, it's Jerusalem, Uh, Mount Zion, uh, close, uh, Zion as they say, so it's a real place, and they say all people will come back. A funny thing happens, it's not just the Jews, it's the Gentiles too. All of these people will come back to Jerusalem, and they will worship God. This is the beginning and the end. This is the kingdom where the Messiah comes, and it's the end of the world. So it's this culmination of everything it is to have been Jewish, but also this culmination of everything that it is to be human. The Jews were sort of blown away, because they thought it was just about them. But when the prophets start to say, no, there will be this Besorah, there will be this day when the kingdom comes, and everything comes back. Now, is the word gospel wrong? No. But can you just feel for a minute that Besorah was bigger than that? The gospel is not just the story of Jesus. Besorah is the story of all of humanity and how God is fixing it. And He's calling everybody back to His mountain in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified to give this ultimate end where we're brought into the kingdom. So Besorah is part of the Messiah coming, but it's also the end of the world. It's what we would know as kingdom come. So this is what Mark is saying, that the fuse has been lit. Besorah is happening now. Again, this is just not not just a biography of Jesus, and he was a really cool dude. But everything that we have been waiting for as Jews and people is happening. So it's it's huge. And we see this, right, in uh, Jesus' teaching. I mean, he's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is here now. Uh, the end of the world is very, very close. Uh, you have to decide, you know, will you be a goat, will you be a sheep? So Jesus is in this mode. So we'll continue to explore this idea of Basora, but... Um, at least it's introduced here. Sure uh, yes. Um, he uh, He uses it seven times, I think. Paul really goes nuts with it. Paul's like fifty nine times. Uh, so um, and, and with a lot of Mark you're going to hear Jesus' words. I mean, with all of them, it's true. But I think that's the word Jesus used. And so that's what uh, Mark picks up on. All right. So this is the besorah, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, comma, the Son of God. Now that's redundant, isn't it? If you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, right? Right. This is, again, where we get into real, real study. We, as Christians, always assume that the Messiah was always the Son of God. But they're two different things. There was this tradition, and this sort of mind-blowing, but stay with me here, that when you were selected for the job that God intended for you to do, you got olive oil poured on your head. And this meant you were a Messiah. There are literally as many Messiahs as there are people. Everybody, like priests, kings, warriors, judges, you name it. If you are fulfilling the role God has for you, you're a Messiah. Everybody, in a sense, has this anointing from God to fulfill the purpose they were meant to do. Now, like I say, this is confusing because Christians, we just go straight to, well, there is the Messiah. and Yes, there is the Messiah. There was only one that was destined to save the whole world. That was Jesus' function. But everybody, David, is called a Messiah. In the Old Testament, when you run across somebody that's called the Anointed One, That is the word Messiah. We do a little bit of of bad translation because if it refers to Jesus, we leave it in Hebrew and say Messiah. If it's referring to David or the high priest or Aaron, we leave it as anointed one. And it can get really, really crazy. Um, If you have your Bibles, let me have you flip over to Isaiah uh, 45. So this is the time of the exile. And the Persians, what we call Iranians today, have just taken over. And the prophet Isaiah says this amazing thing here. Uh, This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his, what is that? Anointed one. So it's Mashiach, my anointed one. So we just called a Persian king a Messiah. That's not good. This guy is not a believer in God. He is a rough, nasty dude. Um, but what his purpose is, in a sense, from God, is that he restores the land of Israel to the Jews. Not for a good reason, for his own political purposes, he lets the Jews go back. Now, hear me clearly. Cyrus was a dictator, butcher, uh, nasty uh, pagan, but he still has this function that he's fulfilling by God. God has a purpose for all of us. The Jews remember Cyrus and remember this, and so they minted a coin, that commemorated Cyrus, he's sometimes called Cyrus the Great, as a Messiah. Do you know who just recently got a coin that the Orthodox Jews called a Messiah? You know him well. Trump. Because he moved the capital of of Israel back to Jerusalem... They declared him a Messiah. It's the same thing as Cyrus. Is Trump a good Jew? (laughs) Uh, That's a big (laughs) negatory. But I I tell you that to sort of bring um, into this. But I will say this. They're not giving a coin to Biden, are they? No. No. Now, yeah, there, there, there's no confusion there whatsoever. So uh, at least Trump gets a coin, uh, even though he's not a good Jew. But if you discover your purpose, that is your anointing. Now, to be sure, Jesus is what they call Ha, the Mashiach, the Messiah. It is the Messiah's that's coming from the mountain from Basora, from the gospel. It is his role to save the world, to bring about this kingdom that will pass us into eternity. Now, nobody else can do that. Uh, So it was a very special role. But they did not believe this would be God. They thought it would be someone like David, be another king. So Mark drops this bombshell and says, He's not only the Mashiach, the Messiah, but he's the Son of God, which is huge. Jews have been monotheists forever. God cannot have a son because there's only one God. So we'll see how that's uh, sort of laid out for us. But Mark is bringing these these three things, Besorah, Messiah, and Son of God all together. Then we continue on in the book of the prophet Isaiah. So more than any other book in the Old Testament, Isaiah talks about the Besorah. So what you're getting here is probably a real quote from Jesus that Mark is remembering or was told by uh, Paul, or Peter, that this is, this is how it all connects. We are slackers today because we have chapter and verse. You realize, of course, this is the uh, <clears throat> handicap rail in the shower for us, right? Uh, the ancient uh, Bible had none of this. No verses, no chapters. It was just all there. And even if we didn't know that Jesus was acting as a rabbi, because people called him that, his friends, his enemies, his students, lots of people call him rabbi, we could tell that Jesus would be a rabbi based on what he does right here. So Mark is remembering this is how Jesus explained things, and this is what rabbis do. They're able from memory, not from chapter and verse, but from memory, To call out the scripture and make the scripture apply to what's happening now or at that moment. So, Mark, probably quoting Jesus, says, Look, I am sending my messenger before you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare a path for the Lord's coming. Make straight a road for Him. So do you remember Easter in here? Remember? What what did we do in here for Easter? Balloons. What, What were the balloons representing? The river of life. Exactly. Which comes from this scripture. Now again, this is getting into how Jesus and Mark and gang saw the coming of the gospel, saw the coming of the world, the end of the world. In Ezekiel, uh, this is what we tried to preach at Easter. In Ezekiel, there is the story where Ezekiel goes to heaven, and he sees the temple in heaven. And out of the most holy place in the temple there's this little spring of water. So it's, it's coming out of the Holy of Holies, and it's flowing through the temple. And Ezekiel's like, what is this thing? And the, the stream gets bigger and bigger, and eventually it flows outside of the temple. It goes down the mountain. Again, this is Basura. And it begins to flow into the world. And as it does, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This is what we were trying to convey here. As it touches the world, it brings life. It goes into the Dead Sea, where there's nothing. There's there's just nothing. And it brings life again. Along the banks of this river, it begins to grow the trees of the Garden of Eden again. So the tree of life is brought again. This is sort of the living reminder of the Messiah, that he is this living water, and this is one of the ways that Jesus describes himself, that comes from God's most holy place, and it comes out into the world, and it brings life back to the world. Again, this is Basora. It's the big picture of which our word gospel usually gets a part of. So this is the way of the Lord. Again, it's not just verbiage it is this real flowing of the river <clears throat> now has anybody in here ever really irrigated a bunch of dry land farmers I guess you have right <clears throat> this is one of the perks of growing up in El Paso in the valley we still all had irrigation rights so we got to irrigate our yards and uh, such as it was and that was a pretty good job for me when I was a little kid with my dad and so you learn how to pop the, uh, because there was a ditch, and it would go under the um, uh, our, uh, fence, and then I had to pop it out, and then I had to clean the, the the gullies, basically, to make sure the water flowed in the right place. That's what make straight the way of the Lord is. Again, I know you've heard it probably a gazillion times. We read the Scripture, but we don't really know the context of it. This is digging the ditch out so the water of life flows. It flows into the Dead Sea. It flows into Jerusalem. It flows into Rome. It flows into your life. Okay? So, Besorah, Isaiah, we're getting this river. So there was this prophecy that this messenger would come. He would come from the wilderness. Now, what happened in the wilderness? Do you remember that? But when they say wilderness, what do they generally mean? As Jews, the desert. The desert. Yeah, absolutely. So when they left Egypt, they just ran right up to the Promised Land, right? They they, they just moved right in. What happened? They screwed it up. So for forty years, we got to wander around and do. Penance, basically. So when they say wilderness, that's what they think of. That before we were a nation, we were wandering. So then we get into familiar stuff. Verse 4. This messenger was John the Baptist. Or baptizer. I I love my Baptist friends that say, we're in Scripture. You See, this is where we were established. So it's not quite that simple, but... You guys know John the Baptist, right? Tell me what you know about him. He's a wild man. He what? He ate bugs and worms, yeah. His his family knew Jesus' family. They're cousins. Which, that may sound like a whole lot more connection. So in El Paso, everybody's a cousin. I mean, it really is. If there was a dating show for Jews in the first century, everybody on that show would be cousins. Because Jews marry cousins in the first century. They do for most of biblical history. So, yes, they're family, but... Uh, you know, we should joke in El Paso, before we had apps that could do that, we had a cousin that could do that. Right? I need to put a radio in. I got a cousin for that, you know. I need to break into a bar. I got a cousin that could do that. You know, it doesn't matter what. I got a cousin. Um, So, remember the story. Uh, There's a miraculous birth about John the Baptist, right? His dad is a priest, and uh, we'll, we'll get into this more. But the priests have kind of become the nobility now. In the first century, in the time of Jesus, they are part of a family, the tribe of Levi. And unlike today, you can't choose to be a priest. In biblical times, you had to be born into this family. So it was was a huge, special honor. There's two kinds of priests. They're both from the tribe of Levi. There's the koanim, which are the regular priests. And then there's the Levites that we tend to know better that are the part-time guys. And they're more the custodial staff. So two two different groups. John the Baptist's dad is one of the Kohanim. He's one of the, the higher priests that perform the sacrifices. He can't have children. You know the story. So they cast lots. So they sort of roll the dice. And this... Special honor falls upon Joseph or John's father that he is able to go to the temple and offer incense. So I know when I think of incense, I think of the kid that smoked pot in college. Uh, But uh, in biblical times, uh, incense were a big deal. Uh, Jerusalem, like all cities, smelled really, really bad. And it's funny, God gets upset about that. He's like, you people stink. Uh, So there is a lot of stuff where God says, you know, take a bath before you clean, see me, put on underwear, (laughs) it's it's sad that he had to tell them that, and, uh, you know, clean, clean up the place a little bit, okay? So they would burn incense, tree sap, frankincense, myrrh, there's others, and... If you've ever seen incense, and not the the cheap stuff, but the real tree wax, it makes like old cigarette smoke. I mean, you can see it go up. And so they believed that this is what your prayers were attached to. So if you were the priest that was offering the incense to the Holy of Holies, it was thought that you had this one wish, that you could ask for anything, and because you're so close to God, you would get it. So John the Baptist's father asks for a son. We'll go into the story a little bit later, but he 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 wants John the Baptist. So there's two miraculous births John the Baptist that happens a little before Jesus, and then Jesus. And as we say, they're cousins. So John the Baptist is far more popular in his ministry than Jesus ever was. at at least at at, at this point in history. Now, obviously, that changes. and We almost forget who John the Baptist was. But John the Baptist was hugely popular because this is what he did. He was born into this really powerful priestly family. He had this miraculous birth. People thought great things of him. But as, as he was growing up, he looked at the priests, And he said, You know what? We're disgusting. We've completely sold our souls to the Romans. We're not leading people towards God. We're taking bribes from the Romans. The person who is elected high priest, which is sort of the leader, the the real leader of the Jewish people, apart from the Roman appointees, is a person that pays the most money to Rome. We are corrupt and we're nasty. And sort of like a hippie, he he just gives it all up. He says, I'm not going to be a priest. I'm not going to be part of this. In fact, I think we should go and start over. Our country is so screwed up that we should go back to the beginning. And where was the beginning for them? Yeah. They got to go back to the wilderness, which is exactly what Isaiah had said. We are lost. So for 40 years, we're going to go and we're going to wander. So John, in kind of a crazy move, gives up his good life in Jerusalem, and he goes back into the desert like the ancestors. And he says, I'm going to live like them. I'm going to live a rough life. I'm going to live, you know, wearing camel skin, and I'm going to eat bugs. And I have to say, the thing about the locust and honey, there is a bean, and I used to have some. I I was trying to get some for you guys. If I can get them past customs, we'll eat them in here. But it's called the locust bean. And it looks like mesquite to me. It has that long, skinny kind of feel to it, but it looks like a thorax of a bug. We're not sure 100%, but when I talk to Israelis, And I asked him about this. They said, no, he wasn't eating a bug. Because that's forbidden in the law. You know, God's very specific about what you eat. And you can't eat bugs. It's like pork, okay? So, would you eat a mesquite bean? Exactly! If I was hungry enough... I mean, I've seen you feed it to cattle, right? And poor old things, they'll, they'll eat just about anything. But whatever is going on, uh, John's making this point that I'm going to go live a simple, basic kind of life. Now, we think honey is sweet and, you know, it's the good life. They don't raise honey. Where do you get honey? (laughs) Yeah, it's in the desert. It's out, you know, with a dead animal or in a cave. and, And the bees just give it to you, right? No. So it's miserable. But John's saying, I'm going to go eat either bugs or this bean. I'm going to beat bees for honey to make the point that we're messed up. We're, we're not who God wants us to be. We're not being Messiahs. We're not being Christians. The, our word Christian is the word Messiahs. So if you ever wonder how many Messiahs did God intend? Well, how many Christians are there? That, that's, that's how he intended. Now, we're supposed to imitate the Messiah, but we're also supposed to be Messiahs. So, we got a John a Baptist guy. He lived in the wilderness and was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea traveled out into the wilderness to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from camel hair, and he wore a leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. He announced, someone is coming who is far greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this extraordinary figure that was definitely the Billy Graham of, of the world until Jesus comes. He, he has people's attention. Like I said, he gave up his life. He's doing all this. And I have to say a little bit about baptism. It'll come up for us later. Jesus and the New Testament did not invent baptism. Jews go into what's called a mikveh. Uh, it's a, it's a ritual bath. And remember, one of the signs of the Messiah is this living water, right? This stream that comes out of the mountain from Ezekiel's vision that is flowing into the world. So this is the place that you have new life. Jews were told that before they went to God, they were stinky, right? So they had to bathe. And God was very specific. Do not take cistern water. Do not take dead water. Take living water that's coming out of springs. It's moving, living water. It can come out of the River Jordan, or it can come out of spring. And these mikvahs are like hot tubs with steps that go down into it. We find them all over the place in Jerusalem. Well, in in all of Judea. I tried to buy one. They found one in Galilee, and... uh, Man, I would love to have it here. I, I didn't know how in the world I was going to get it over here, but they were raising money uh, to try to preserve it because they find them all the time. And they're like, who cares? But like, that would be so cool. But basically, you walk down the steps and and until it gets over your head, and you cleanse yourself. You turn around and you walk back out. Uh, you still see them in modern times, um, but. This was a regular ritual for Jews before they went to the temple. uh, Women have to do it after they menstruate. Uh, If you've touched a dead person, you have to do it. So a regular part of Jewish life is mikvah, which we translate as baptism. So they're doing it regularly. What John said, though, is that we are so bad that we're not really Jewish. And so if a foreigner wanted to convert to Judaism, he would have to get in one of these mikvahs. Then in a sense, he was washing away his, his Gentileness. He was washing away his old life. And he was accepting now the covenant of Abraham. So John is saying to the Jews, you've got to start over. You've got to act like you are a foreigner, like when we came out of Egypt. And you then have to... Be born again. So John is taking this old Jewish custom and he's making it something special, something different. Jesus will pick up on this and take it a whole new, different direction, but I'm going to run out of time. So I'm going to stop there. Questions? Yes? He the question before. Was he given permission? Baptize people, or did he just take it upon himself through the written law? He did, did it himself. Yeah. Um, there's a reason they killed the John the ba- killed John the Baptist. They cut his head off because he had so upset so many people. Um, he he didn't have the right to do as a priest. He did, he wasn't given authority to do the mikvah, but he didn't care. So. Was he a few years older than Jesus? Do what now? Was John the Baptist a few years older? He was. He was. He was born before. Yeah. Uh, Maybe three, four. I would guess something like that. Yeah. But John the Baptist seems to be like all over the world and, and doing his thing, at least in the Judean world. And then Jesus sort of comes out of the shadow. Some of the followers of Jesus start with John the Baptist. John the Baptist had far more uh, disciples than Jesus ever did. And so part of what Mark is doing, I think, is trying to explain, how do we go from John the Baptist to Jesus? But if John the Baptist says Jesus is something special, then people really, really listen. And does John get a fair shake in all this? No. What happens to him? Yeah, he pisses off one of Herod's uh, sons because he married his sister, and so he becomes a birthday gift. <laughs> or at least his head does. So these, it was that sort of corruption that he he was fighting. So I never see John called you, so maybe he wasn't a rabbi. Yeah, we we don't we don't know. That's that's a good question. Yeah, I, you're right. I don't see him, but it says he had disciples. So, I don't know. the first reference to Son of God? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Although, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, it's it's kind of a bigger deal than we... I mean, even bigger than calling him Son of God. So. it's, it's a, most of it Jews around from didn't have any oil <laughs> <laughs> yeah dang Moses but they found gas they're fighting over gas now off the coast so we, we thought it was dicey before now that there's petrodollars, dollars uh, Hamas and Israel are threatening each other over the offshore gas so... Anyway. the young is the Jewish father, singular, but similar to that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, you guys are really good. um there, there's a phrase in Hebrew, uh, the two in heaven, um, that by the time of the first century, they see that there were two powers in heaven. So there's the one on the throne and one that stands before the throne. And this is coming, and forgive me for maybe making this too complex, but they will end up saying, well, there's um, the spirit of God that was in Genesis. Um, so it's the, the Ruach, the Spirit of God. Uh, and then they end up saying the voice from heaven is uh, another manifestation of God. And then they say the Son of Man is another manifestation of God. So they're actually having more than three. Um, so it, it, it gets complicated. But that's why we have Jesus sort of come along and say, no, you're, you're getting a little off here. But that voice in heaven, they fully they call it the bot coal, the little voice, and they think it's, it's just like the Spirit, just like the Son of Man. So it's good stuff. So I would lay out for you, why are you a Christian? Do you use that title? Are you worthy of it? Would John the Baptist make you live in the desert? So, what's your anointing? Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, what's your job? What What's your purpose? Yeah, that, that's that's the general. But you, well, no, I mean, you you got a purpose. You you got to be somebody. You got to do something. John the Baptist didn't say, Hey, I'm just here to hang out. He he knew what he had to do. at what point did he know, realize, and understand that he was Jesus' cousin and he knew that Jesus was the Messiah? I think he knows at this point that he's saying, I'm not fit to untie his sandals. I mean, he. And then, obviously, what happens when he, he baptizes Jesus? Um. But it's, it's a question that long haunts me, and, and I think one that should really resonate with us. What's, uh, what's my purpose? And it's not just one thing that you do. It's being who you were meant to be. I mean, John the Baptist could have just stayed in a cushy uh, priestly life, lived a good life, you know, gone to the temple, blah, 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 loved God, but his purpose was to be the crazy man in the wilderness that introduced Jesus. So what's yours? I mean, yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have families. Yes, we do things for our church. But in all that, what's your actual anointing? What's your title Jesus? Jesus. What's your title? Christian. So it's easy for me to say I'm the weird history guy that's good at language. Um, I really think that's my my anointing. That's, that's what I do. It took me a long time. You know, it used to scare me when I'd see all the preachers when I was a kid. They all wore, remember back in the 80s, everybody wore those you know, sports coats that had like the patches on them and they were kind of tweedish. I thought, oh, God, am I going to have to do that? Um, You do what? (laughs) And I thought, I can't. I can't do that. I'm I'm just not that person. Um, And that, yeah, you know, but when it comes to weird, ancient things, man, I'm all over that. So that's who God made me to be, and I kind of love that. So I pray that for everybody. Find really you. And in finding really you, you'll find what God really wants you to do. Is it easy? No. That's John the Baptist. But man, the world needs it. So the final thing I would say is, with this Basora that we started with, you see that God has this huge plan. It's not just telling the story of Jesus, although that's huge. It's saving the whole world. It's making sense of everything that's happened since the Garden of Eden. And part of the way he does that is having each one of his followers, whether we're using the title disciple or Christian or whatever, to play our part. We're each part of this giant mosaic that he's building. So we've got a role to play. So any last comments? I'll get us out of here. all right let's pray gracious lord our god thank you for your word this morning thank you that you have faith in us that we have a chance to make this crazy world like your kingdom we know lord we are on the clock that what you began in jerusalem is is ticking down there will be a time in which it all ends either in our life or for the world itself. So may we spend our days doing your work. May we discover really who we are and how much you love that, how much you've suffered and died for that real person we are. Help us, O Lord, to live in that place so that we can lead other people to you the real God, the real Savior, the real anointed, the real Son of God. Help us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.